0: Hey now. We are getting over and I am the Silver King Adam Silverstein here to lead you through these hard times. That is, with your AEW NJPW Forbidden Door instant reaction. That's right, getting over is back once again and it is sunday night just moments after aew and jpw forbidden door went off the air we are here to break down everything that happened on this second annual edition of this co-promoted pay-per-view we're talking brian danielson and kazuchika okada we're talking kenny omega and will osprey and we are talking everything else that happened at forbidden door on sunday night before we get to that of course The Silver King needs to kick things off with a reminder that this podcast is all about defy. So please remember to head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify, leave those five-star ratings. On Apple, you can leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. On Spotify, you can comment on individual episodes. You leave those comments, people will decide whether they want to listen, and we'll read those here on the show as well. Also, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCast, not only for episode drops, news analysis, highlights, all that good stuff. You get to vote in pre- and post-show polls surrounding pay-per-views and premium live events. Of course, we had two polls tonight for Forbidden Door, and your thoughts are going to be utilized on this instant reaction. One more reminder before we get into everything. I happen to love the number five. And what does that mean? It means for only $5 a month, you can become an official Getting overhead. Check out slash getting over. You will support us with those $5 a month. You also get bonus audio and news posts. Our latest big news post was on Friday. You don't want to miss that. You don't want to miss the bonus audio after the major television shows throughout the entire week. Again, slash getting over. We have an absolute ton to discuss about AEW and JPW. Forbidden Door. Unfortunately, Vintage Chris Vanini is not here along for the ride. We will try to get his thoughts on our next AEW show coming up this Thursday. And actually, before I talk about that show, let me go ahead and give you our schedule for this entire week that is upcoming on Tuesday. We will have your WWE Money in the Bank Ultimate Preview. On Wednesday, we will be back with an NXT episode. Thursday, AEW Forbidden Door Fallout, along with full breakdowns of Collision, Rampage, and dynamite, and then Saturday we will have your WWE Money in the Bank instant reaction. So a four show week upcoming here at the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Of course, before we get to those, we have to finish this one. In fact, we have to start this one. So let's go ahead and get into it with your AEW and JPW Forbidden Door instant reaction. Now, what we're going to do for anyone who happens to be a first time listener, we're going to break down all the matches. Some longer than others. The two main events certainly longer. Than others, We'll give you our reactions to those matches, both in terms of what happened in the ring and the storytelling aspects, and of course, give you a grade as well. And at the very end, we will give a final grade for AEW and JPW Forbidden Door. And yes, I have been using the Royal Wii this entire time on this episode is the Silver King Adam Silverstein riding solo. But let's get into it with the main event of Forbidden Door, Brian Danielson against Kazuchika Okada. So Danielson got to use the final countdown for his dream match. Good job by Tony Khan making that happen. Okada came out to falling money, which was quite a sight as well. So Okada hit a running splash over the barricade into the crowd, and a really cool air raid style neck breaker inside. Later, he nailed four perfect drop kicks of different styles. A label lock was easily broken. Okada missed a second Rainmaker attempt outside as a counter to a Tope Suicida, but he hit Tombstone Piledriver on the ramp. He added an elbow drop inside, and Brian did the kayfabe convulsions as he did when he first came into AEW. A doctor barely looked at him and let him continue as he was still convulsing. Okada picked him up for Rainmaker but got surprised by the psycho knee as Brian was playing possum. Danielson hit a second one for a false finish and stomped in Okada's head while selling a right arm injury. Okada countered a third knee attempt with a dropkick, landslide, and a Rainmaker for a false finish. Brian countered Rainmaker into the bell lock and moved that into a butterfly lock. Trapped and unable to move as Danielson kind of kept leveraging that arm, Okada started kind of feeling pain, so Danielson took his foot and began pressing it into Okada's wrist, bending the arm back even further as Okada tapped out in 28 minutes with Danielson winning via submission, and a hush literally fell over the crowd. And I got to tell you, watching at home, I felt exactly the same way. Shocking result and finish here. Less shocking because of the Kenny Omega Will Ospreay result. We'll get to that. Okada, by far, at least to me, made the most sense as the winner. And that makes me believe they're going to be running this back, whether it's at All In, maybe Wrestle Kingdom in January, or maybe one year from now at Forbidden Door. It seemed to me like they purposely left a lot on the table here to go back to in the future. And for that reason, it fell below expectations because my thought coming in was this was going to be a one-shot deal and they would just go all out, no pun intended. It was a worthy main event, but not the best match on the card. And you could make an argument, it wasn't the second best match on the card. It was great, but it was not an all-timer. It wasn't even a top 10 match of 2023, midway through the year. Now, long-time listeners know this. Few things take me out of a match more than fake convulsions from a guy with a history of potentially career-ending head injuries. That plus Brian selling the arm, yet it never actually factoring into a false finish or anything significant in the match, those were both disappointing. Now, the former was an unnecessary and distasteful gimmick. The latter was just strange from a match-planning standpoint. Now, look, it's certainly possible that Danielson severely injured his arm and or shoulder, and they had to call the match short, and maybe he had to direct an audible or something to do a new finish in the ring. That is definitely within the realm of possibility. But until I know whether that's the case, I have to cover this based on what's in front of me. And Danielson did a lot after he started selling the arm injury, so I don't know why that would necessitate them going to a finish like this. And therefore, grading this one is tough. The wrestling was strong, but the match never entered fourth gear. And I got to tell you, it barely felt like it touched third gear. If you're going to call something a dream match featuring the two quote best in the world, and you're going to have Tony Schiavone scream about that, how great each of them are individually and together for 30 minutes, then the match needs to live up to that hype. Now, if memory serves, I don't believe Okada has tapped out in like seven or eight years. Yet they used that here without even telling us at any different points during the match that Brian was trying to accomplish something that no one else has been able to do during this historic championship run that Okada's had. He's not champion right now, or at least he's not the IWGP World Heavyweight Champion. But during the seven or eight years, he's been, you could make an argument, even more so than Roman Reigns in WWE, the best wrestler in the entire world, the greatest champion in the entire world. And this guy has not tapped out. And then let's go back to the fake convulsions. That took me out of the match. And I'm sure it took some of you out as well. It's almost like one part of my brain is saying, it's Okada Danielson. How could this not at least be 4.5 stars? But then the other part looks at everything we just discussed. And I just, I can't get there. I actually loved the submission finish with Danielson pretty much trying to remove Okada's arm out of the socket with his foot. But Okada didn't really sell the pain well leading up to it. And again, it just entirely fell flat. I'm gonna shock you because this is a grade that I'll give to like random TV matches that just happened to slap. But I think this was like four stars and an A-. minus. Now I'm gonna rewatch this. I think there's a chance on a rewatch, I'll probably be higher, maybe 4.25 and an A. But I don't see myself going any higher than that. There have been many, many, better matches this year, including at least one, you could argue two on this card alone. And I just got to tell you, I was relatively shocked with everything that transpired in Danielson Okada. So let's move to the co-main event. Now, this was third to last on the card because they put a separator in between the co-main events, but you really could make an argument. This should have been the mid-show main event because it needed more space based on how great this was compared to the Danielson Okada match. Osprey came out to his old music, flanked by Don Callis and the two security guards. One oddity is this was an IWGP title under New Japan rules, yet it had an AEW referee. Yet the other New Japan title that was on the line had Red Shoes as the referee. So that was a big error as far as I was concerned. The crowd was hot at the bell. Callis tripped Omega early and got ejected from ringside, completely tossed. But the security guys remained. The first major spot was an Osprey shooting star press with Omega hanging over the top rope inside. He followed with an Oz cutter on the ring apron, and then Osprey rammed Omega's head into the announce table lid like five different times. Omega bladed here. Now, this was a callback to their first match from early January at Wrestle Kingdom, except the roles were reversed here. Osprey nailed the V-trigger and taunted by wiping his taint and picking his nose with the Canadian flag that he stole from someone at ringside. It was very Shawn Michaels 1997. Omega then used the flag to beat Osprey. He returned it to some kids at Ringside, hit a V-trigger into the barricade, rammed Osprey's head into the steel steps for a more gruesome blade job, I would say. And then hit a DDT standing atop the upturned steps, which was one of the best spots of the entire match. Osprey countered a V-trigger uh running into a Spanish fly and put in a sharpshooter and crossface to booze. Kenny got his ass beat here until he countered Ozcutter with the most casual knee he's probably ever thrown, but it was a really well-scouted and well-executed spot. Omega hit a Poison Rana and a pull-up pile driver for a 2.9 false finish. Osprey came back with a really sick sky twister to ringside. Omega baited Hidden Blade, but ate a liger bomb and flying Ozcutter for false finishes. Omega then hit, I think it was Deadeye, as Callus returned to ringside. The referee didn't notice at first, but then once he did, he just didn't give a shit. Callus seemed to protect Osprey from a V-trigger, but he moved away when Omega actually connected on it. Then he grabbed Osprey to prevent further offense with the referee jumping outside to break it up as Callus struggled, but eventually snuck Osprey a screwdriver. Osprey stabbed Omega with it while he was up in the one-winged angel. He then hit Hidden Blade and Stormbreaker, but Omega got his literal toes on the bottom rope in an absolute fire false finish. Osprey then hit V-trigger and one-winged angel for a one count that got a massive pop. I always love when Kenny gets hit with his own move and then does a one count kick out. It's very typical for him, but it hits every single time. Uh, There was a fantastic sequence ending with a ripcord elbow. Then Osprey hit Tiger Driver 91, literally dropping Omega onto his own head and the back of his neck in an extremely scary spot for a false finish. He added Hidden Blade and Stormbreaker after that and won the IWGP US title in 39 minutes. Now look, this was just an extraordinary match, extremely different from their first meeting in January, extremely different from nearly every match I've ever seen. This was special. I gave the first meeting five stars plus because I don't go above that numerical digit anymore. This, I would say, was a flat five stars A+. plus. The brutality was fantastic. The callbacks and storytelling aspects were awesome. The false finishes were extremely hot, especially the toe. The one count got a huge reaction as well. Omega getting dropped on his head, that was scary as hell in the final sequence, but he luckily seemed fine. He was able to keep going with the rest of the match. It just felt like a completely unnecessary risk there. My only real issue was the callous stuff. What's the point of ejecting someone from ringside if they are able to just return unabated, not just return unabated, but significantly interfere? Not just significantly interfere, but remain at ringside after that for like 10 minutes in the entire finish without the referee even once looking at his way and telling him to leave. That is extremely poor booking. Knock the referee out if you wanna get involved like that. At a minimum, what they should have done is that AEW security tried to get him away from ringside because he was ejected. Then you have the two hired security guards that he has. You let those guys beat the shit out of the AEW security. So you get chaos at ringside. It explains why callus is there and why no one can get him away. And then you do much of what you did in the finish anyway. And all of that is what keeps this match from getting the extra credit, the plus beyond five stars from me. Now, normally this shit would keep a match from getting five stars at all. You have to understand that. When this happens in WWE, I say, well, I was gonna go five, but you know what? It's a minimum four, seven, five, or maybe I even drop it further. But this was simply so freaking good other than that, that it just overcame the stupidity. But again, it prevented it from getting extra credit. I'm also surprised they did the title change here in Canada and not in London as we discussed on the Ultimate Preview. I would presume the match is either not happening again this year or Creative for Omega requires him to not remain involved with Osprey at this time or they're gonna have Osprey win the Series 2-1 with a huge retention over there. But this being in Canada, it actually ended up getting extra heat on Osprey as a heel and that wound up being a positive as well. So Omega Osprey one back in January at Wrestle Kingdom. It's probably the match of the year when all is said and done. I mean, there's still half a year left and there's plenty of matches that can happen. But that one seems to be a tier or half a tier above the rest. Omega Osprey 2 tonight, it's a no doubter for top 10 and extremely likely to be in top five as well. It easily could have been the main event of this show or any show. In 2023, these guys put a stamp on being two of the best in the world, and man, the lengths they went to in this match to entertain us. You just have to say kudos to both of them. What's just extremely odd about the entire thing is that this was on the same card as Danielson Okada, which was build a match to determine the best in the world. And you look at those two, and look, Okada's amazing, and he's in the same class. As Omega and Osprey, but you look at those two and what they did and these two and what they did. And you say, how can you talk about them in the same breath? Omega and Osprey absolutely fucking murdered it in this match. Congratulations to both of them. This is on pace. I mean, the Omega Okada series for me, in terms of in-ring wrestling, it's easily number one of all time unmatched, probably will be untouched. And in order for Omega and Osprey to storm past that, it is gonna require such wrestling and such storytelling to make their trilogy or perhaps four-match feud eclipse what Omega and Okada did over those four matches. Is it possible? It's absolutely possible. The stage has been set with the first two matches, but I just am very curious to see what they do coming out of this because I did think this was gonna be an Omega retention with Osprey winning in London. For the mid-show main event, we have the elite Eddie Kingston and Tomohiro Ishii against Blackpool Combat Club Konosuke Takeshka and Shota Umino. The heels entered to John Moxley's New Japan music. Kingston and Mox got everyone on their feet. There was a spot where Takeshka hit Ishii so hard with a forearm that he kayfabe got knocked out cold. It was great. Great fan reaction to it. Hangman Page had a nice hot tag, catching Takeshka off the ropes with a great forearm strike and he also hit a running shooting star press with Takeshka elevated by the young bucks off the apron. There was a really dumb double German suplex spot where one buck happily grabbed his brother to help Takeshka hit Germans on both of them. It was really stupid. Next was super kick party with Kingston taking friendly fire by saving Mox for no good reason. Matt Jackson got his ass kicked, taking a ton of signatures. He may have gotten hurt in the match, there was a botch with Nick and Wheeler Yuda on the top rope. I should note here, I guess that this was a full tornado match. Mox at Kingston with an RKO, clearly not repaying the friendship. Ishii wrapped it by hitting his brainbuster finisher on Yuda for what I thought was a surprising babyface win in 22 minutes. After the bell, Kingston showed frustration with the elite and walked off ahead of them. It's tough to crown an MVP of this match. I mean, I love Ishii, so I'm kind of biased. He was incredible. Takeshka was fantastic. Kingston had such a strong storytelling effort throughout this entire match, both before the bell rang and from bell to bell. He was in his bag the entire time. You guys know I prefer actual tagging, but that's extremely difficult to do in a 10-man match. It really should have just been tornado rules the entire time. And I actually did think we got the wrong winner. As I said on the Ultimate Preview, Elite really shouldn't have beaten Blackpool Combat Club until they're full strength with Omega and in a more notable match. Like if you're gonna do blood and guts, that's the one you have elite win. I'm not totally sure why they did it here. Now, I would just have put the heels over. You keep having the heels win until the baby faces kind of come through and get that moment. But I digress. Still, the match was an absolute banger. And it was the highlight of the show midway through it, because you have, you have to remember this was the mid-show main event before either of the other two matches I just mentioned. Uh, we got storytelling with Eddie, Mox, and Claudio. We got high-flying, work rate, and we also got... <laughs> Big meaty man slapping meat. <laughs> That's what I want. been a while since I've been able to play that sound drop. I went 4.25 stars in an A. Oh, and by the way, Mox didn't bleed. This was probably because of Omega Osprey and how much they did bleed, so they didn't want to do it back-to-back or in close proximity but still, it's notable. Congrats to Mox for staying dry. The AEW Championship opened the show MJF against Hiroshi Tanahashi. Now, before that, let's talk about what happened on Collision. Tanahashi fought Swerve Strickland. Swerve got knees up on high fly flow and hit his head kick, but Tanahashi avoided the Swerve stomp, hitting Sling Blade. Then he tripped on the top rope, necessitating Swerve to kind of call an audible, before Tanahashi finally hit a very weak High fly flow for the win. After the bell, MJF appeared on screen saying he'd embarrass him. He also said he demanded Tony Khan make their match the opener. It was a good promo from MJF. I said Thursday I was immensely excited for this random match, but man, it disappointed. It absolutely seemed like Tanahashi was working injured against Swerve. And that's probably why that happened. And it's probably why this happened as well. So again, this did open Forbidden Door. MJF did the chicken shit, heel stuff early and this purposely started slow. There were multiple dual chants. MJF sold a knee and disrespected Ace, so he went after it with a dragon screw and Texas cloverleaf. MJF countered high fly flow with double knees, first selling the injury, then grabbing his title. The referee took it from him and missed a Tana roll-up. They argued, so MJF pushed Ace into the referee and knocked Tanahashi out with the dynamite diamond ring to retain the title in 15 minutes. This was equivalent to the... Austin Theory, John Cena match at WrestleMania. Just a massive disappointment. I know booking so that both promotions are happy is extremely difficult, but MJF is the world champion and Tanahashi's 46. Like MJF should have gotten a clean-ish win, at least hitting his finisher after the ring or something. Just like Theory, Cena, this did nothing for MJF and he wasn't even able to really carry Ace like Swerve did on Collision. And that makes Tanahashi wrestling twice in as many days It just seems like a terrible decision. I don't know why they did that. Also, look, the diamond ring, it is immensely tired at this point as a tool for MJF. It is not believable that a little tiny diamond ring being punched into someone's head is gonna knock them out cold. It just doesn't work for me. So this may be lower than some, but I gotta tell you, I went 2.25 stars in a C. I just, I did not enjoy it. I thought it was a bad decision for it to open the show. And really, I thought Tanahashi was the wrong person to challenge MJF in this spot. Now we were supposed to get Adam Cole against filthy Tom Lawler, which was booked on Rampage. MJF announced that he got Tony Khan to put Cole in a match because MJF was fighting Tanahashi. Cole immediately got attacked by Lawler and his partner with MJF sarcastically taking his dandy time uh, trying to save his tag team partner. This was smart booking, actually like doing the match and giving the storyline. But unfortunately, the match got canceled due to Cole being sick. So let's hope that MJF uses this as like a cowardice angle in their story that he can tell going forward. So the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship was on the line, Sonata, against Jungle Boy first on Rampage. Jungle Boy fought Doki. So I had never seen this Doki guy before, but he had this like Mortal Kombat aesthetic going. He got a much bigger reaction than Jack throughout, and he wound up the babyface in this match. Doki hit a great senton off the top rope through a table outside and a pendulum DDT over the ropes. Jungle Boy came back with a Poison Rana and the elbow strike. He got straight up booed. Then he won via submission with Skull End, which is Sonata's finisher, to even more booze. Sonata confronted him after the bell. They did a stare down, and that's it. Now, I'd spend more time on this on a regular show, but the long and short of it is this. The heel turn feels planned, like it was clear they were going in this direction. And if it wasn't, then the plans should have shifted and they should lean into it. Uh, This is something that Jack definitely needed. Now, the question is, whether he will actually succeed if he does turn heel. Now, look, if he shaves the sideburns, cuts the hair, goes all in, maybe it would work. But anyway, Doki made an impression. Let's just get to the match. So on Forbidden Door, Red Shoes uh, was the referee. He got an appropriate champ before the bell. Good for him. Jack got Sonata in his own skull end for a rope break. He followed with a Poison Rana, but missed the running forearm. Sonata then reversed the Poison Rana attempt and hit Shining Wizard. And the match ended rather suddenly, like a minute later with a moonsault as Sonata retained the title. It was so sudden that the fans were actually surprised by it. We got good work with no storyline and a lackluster finish. I'm probably gonna stick it at 3.25 stars and a B. That may be a little generous even, because it was just moves for the sake of doing moves. Now, cameras lingered on Jack and Hook, who was Jack's second for the match. He went to the ring with him for the title bout, but they lingered on them after the bell as they walked up the ramp AEW made it blatantly obvious that a turn was going to come. They literally took the cameras away from them and put it back on them three or four different times where you would never normally do that. You might do it once and then kind of go away and go to your next match. Jungle Boy paid it off the entire telegraphing by clotheslining Hook and then mocking the crowd, singing his song. Then he stared at the FTW title and threw it at Hook as fans chanted, quote, you fucked up, with Jungle Boy pausing and walking out the heel side of the entrance to cement the turn. Now, this definitely got heat, but it was hardly surprising, nor that exciting to me personally. Jungle Boy came off kind of like an angry teen, and though his crowd taunt was the most personality he's ever shown in AEW, even him doing that, it just like watching him do it, it felt like it was forced, if that makes sense. Maybe the heel turn is going to work. So far, I'm not overly optimistic, but I do think he'll get booed. Let me get that clear. I just don't know if it's going to make him better or more believable as a character when he does get booed. So we had Les Suzuki gods against Darby Allen Sting and a partner to be announced. On Collision, Chris Jericho opened the show getting cheap heat with Minoru Suzuki, saying he's tired of waiting to learn the partner. They did a funny best friends handshake with Suzuki and Jericho, and Jericho said it made Sammy Guevara jealous, which Darby said showed some common sense on Guevara's part. He then revealed Tetsuya Naito as the partner to a really strong pop. I wasn't sure if they would do Naito or someone like Ultimo Dragon, but it was the right call. It would have been nice to see clips of the match between Naito and Jericho for viewers who were unfamiliar with that, but AEW uh, chose not to do that. So anyway, we got the match, the six-man on Forbidden Door. The crowd was understandably exhausted for this because it was between the two co-main events. Sting got baited into one-on-one with Jericho, only to get attacked by Suzuki before he and Jericho traded blows. Sammy nearly broke Sting's neck, trying to do a flying cutter on him while he had Jericho. I think it was in a scorpion deathlock. Darby ate a Judas effect as a counter while he was trying a topé suicida. That was actually the spot of the match in terms of like inventiveness. Jericho then put Sting on a table and demanded Sammy hit him with a six thirty. Now Sting was supposed to get off the table so that Sammy flew into it, ate the six thirty, got knocked out for the remainder of the match and had a reason to bitch and moan at Jericho. Except Sting was so slow moving that he didn't get off the table, and Sammy hit him with it with his body like half off the table. Yet, Sting had to get back into the ring for the next spot, because he was supposed to be healthy, having avoided the move. So he gets back into the ring. He ends up crawling out to the apron, and he looks legitimately exhausted. He saunters back inside for some combination of moves with Naito that led to Naito pinning Suzuki and ending the match. Jericho then beat on Naito with a bat, so Sting stole it from him, hit him with it one time, and the entire thing was over. And man, this was rough as hell. To the point, it actually made me cringe multiple times out of concern for Sting. He's done a good job being hidden in AEW matches, especially when they did the cinematic one. But at 64, this, it needs to be it for him. And soon, like he can go in a burst, but he can't keep up. He can't really protect himself. And he definitely got confused at a couple parts in this match. Sammy 630 was the only hugely notable moment because it was a storyline continuation with Jericho and probably Darby. But man, this entire thing was just massively disappointing. Uh, Two stars and a C minus. Like it's so tough to grade some of these. I Just gotta be honest with you. AW Women's Championship Tony Storm against Willow Nightingale on collision. Willow fought Nyla Rose in the Owen Hart tournament quarterfinal. Kevin Kelly tried to tell us that Willow is a mainstream household name, which, look, man, I like her, but that's just not true. Uh, Willow pounced Nyla and hit a straight-up massive doctor bomb for the win. It was perfect execution on that move. Sky Blue then saved her from the outcast threatening to attack. Willow is over like Rover, and I hope her push continues after she eventually drops the NJPW strong women's title. I think she does have the total package. I don't necessarily believe in her as like a top woman in the entire division, like some fans do, but she should and definitely could be a mainstay for AEW. Now, in terms of this storm against Nightingale on Forbidden Door, the outcasts were ringside. Tony ate a Death Valley driver on the apron and inside. The referee caught the outcast throwing spray paint into the ring and ejected them. Tony got her nose busted open hard way, then bit Willow's knee while she was stuck in an Indian deathlock. Willow countered hip attack with a pounce. Tony pulled the referee in her way to stop a hip attack, thumbed Willow's eyes, and on the distraction hit Storm Zero to retain the title in 10 minutes. Sky Blue and Britt Baker watched disgusted backstage. The middle 50% of this match I actually thought was fantastic, but it started really slow and fell real flat in the finish the latter of which was done to protect Willow because she's a New Japan champion. But still, it just it could have been a lot better. Really tough to grade this one. One of the tougher ones the entire show. I'm gonna go 2.75 stars and a C+. The international championship was on the line Orange Cassidy against Katsuyori Shibata, Daniel Garcia, and Zack Sabre Jr. in a four-way. Sabre worked Cassidy's hand as Garcia hit Shibata with the title for a false finish. Fans chanted, this is awesome because Orange and Shibata sat cross-legged slapping each other. Sabre and Shibata had the best short sequence of the entire match. After Shibata hit the PK on Garcia, Orange shoved Shibata out of the ring and put Garcia in a crucifix pinning combination to retain the title in 12 minutes. After the bell, Sabre told Cassidy they aren't done. The three champions then jawed with Orange and Shibata shaking hands. This went about as expected. Definitely the assumed finishing pair. Sabre was the MVP in this match and easily outshine Cassidy in direct comparison, not even close. He was phenomenal. Any pair of these guys probably would have put on a better match. I didn't find this to be a notably exciting four way. I know some people absolutely loved it. At 12 minutes, it just left a lot to be desired. I wanted another five to seven minutes and I think if it got it, we're talking about a really high caliber match. At the time it ended, it was the best match of the night to that point but I wasn't as high on it as many others appeared to be. I would love to see Orange and Sabre possibly have a match in London at All-In. I think that would make a lot of sense. Maybe I need to rewatch this one, but I'm at 3.75 stars and a B+. CM Punk fought Satoshi Kojima in an Owen Hart tournament quarterfinal. Punk got a mixed reaction on Collision that we'll discuss on Thursday show. He was straight up booed here, uh, which I'm sure they expected. He also wore a Heart Foundation inspired CMFTR shirt. I gotta say, the way these three like co-opt the entire Heart family, it just doesn't sit right with me. I'm sure they actually have a relationship, but it seems weird, just as a third party watching at home. Anyway, this was second on the main card. Punk healed it up using Kojima's moves. Punk hit his flying elbow drop and locked in anaconda vice for false finishes. Kojima countered Go to Sleep into a brain buster, but Punk came back with GTS for the win. Then he did push-ups after the bell. It was nice that Punk got a match that he wanted. It was kind of odd doing it in the tournament and Kojima even being in the tournament. And it was the second straight slow match to begin Forbidden Door. Punk did look good here, I will say. I went three stars and a B-. minus. Athena fought Billy Starks in the Owen Hart Tournament quarterfinal. This was on the zero-hour kickoff show. In fact, there were four matches, on the zero hour kickoff show. We're gonna breeze through them. Personally, I felt like AEW moving this to the kickoff with two other women's quarterfinals rushed to TV this week told you all you need to know about their care for the women's side of the tournament. Athena got her O-face finisher countered with the superkick but hit a top rope per and devastating Liger Bomb. Starks nearly killed herself with a Miss Senton on the ring apron and Athena hit a twisting style face buster for the win in eight minutes. Athena did look really good Such a dropped ball by WWE releasing her, and really kind of a drop ball by AEW as well, relegating her to Ring of Honor. Starks didn't play her part, 2.5 stars in a C. United Empire fought Los Ingobernables de Japon. Hamaro Takahashi nearly broke his neck getting dumped on his head by Jeff Cobb. Shingo Takagi appropriately murdered TJP with Made in Japan for the win. It's really tough to separate these kickoff matches from each other. This had more star power and I was interested to see it more than some of the others, but it also left something to be desired given the talent that we had in the ring here. So I'm again at 2.5 stars in the C. Mogul Embassy fought Chaos and El Desperado. This opened the entire show and saw a lot of good action. Swerve and Brian Cage combined for a really cool move with Rocky Romero sitting up straight, like waiting a good 30 seconds for Swerve to like get himself positioned for a Swerve stomp, and the heels won. The right team came out on top. The action was perfect for an opener. Not really much to it. I went 2.75 stars and a C And lastly, Stu Grayson fought El Fantasmo. This was basically made because they're both Canadian. Apparently, Grayson left dark order. I had no idea. Fantasmo hit a top rope hurricanrana and splash for a false finish. Grayson came back with a 450 for another false finish. Fantasmo then hit a seated springboard tornado DDT and an underhook bomb for the win. I also went 2.5 stars and C for this. And that, folks, is your instant reaction to AEW and JPW Forbidden Door. I just broke down every single match with reactions and grades to it all. I do, of course, wish that vintage Chris Vanini was here to kind of counter some of my points and give his opinions, because there was so much that happened on Forbidden Door that I wasn't sure if I was experiencing it, I don't want to say incorrectly, but maybe I just wasn't digesting it the way I was meant to digest it from a creative standpoint. And sometimes when we have these post pay-per-view conversations, because you have to remember, we do these shows instantly, literally as soon as the show ends, we hop on and do the breakdown. It's different than our normal weekly WWE and AEW shows where we have a couple days or at least overnight to kind of think about it, add notes, tweak our thoughts, you know, and, and kind of get things all together. Usually when we do the instant reaction and we talk it through I'll miss something that he catches, he'll miss something that I'll catch, and we kind of fill in some blanks, but I, I did pay, you know, significant attention clearly based on the notes I gave you for this entire show, and I was just surprised that Forbidden Door kind of transpired the way it did, and that so many things on the show, from a booking and creative standpoint, left as much to be desired as they did. Now, with that said, let's go ahead and get to our grades, and see what we thought going into Forbidden Door, and of course, what we all thought about it coming out of it once it was over. So recapping our pre-show grades. Chris was at an A. Your boy right here, the Silver King, was also at an A. It is very rare that we will give a pre-show expectation grade of a flat A, but that is where we both were going into Forbidden Door. Now, in terms of you, the getting overheads, our listeners, your votes on Twitter, this is how they broke down. 49.3% 49.3% A, 36% B, 11% C, 4% D to F. That averages out to an 88.1 or a B plus. That actually surprised me given the quality of the top of the card, some of the big names on it, and the fact that this edition of Forbidden Door going into the show, reminder, was seemingly much stronger than last year's edition of Forbidden Door. And the way that transpired last year was... We were kind of underwhelmed coming in and we thought it exceeded expectations by the time the entire thing was over. So with that said, let's go ahead and get to the post-show grades and I will start with you, the getting overhead, since it's normally Chris who goes first and I go last. We'll start with your thoughts and then the Silver King will come in and give his final grade. Now, technically, there are still 30 minutes left in our poll that we posted on Twitter at Getting Overcast. at the time we got to this segment. I probably should have shortened it a little bit, but I'll tell you what the percentages are at this time chances are they are not going to change very much over the next 30 minutes we have 44.7% saying a 47.9% saying b 7.4% saying c and 0% at d or f that averages out to about 87.1% so at the bottom range of a b plus and I got to tell you, I think that's probably right on. It's very difficult to grade this show. As we kind of just went over from a match by match standpoint, I kind of threw out the entire zero hour. And I usually don't count that anyway when it comes to the full show grades, but there wasn't much on this card that I thought rocked my world or was extraordinary or was something where it made me glad that I ordered this pay-per-view and spent $50. Without a doubt, Kenny Omega and Will Ospreay did that. Zero question. I did think the Elite and Friends versus Blackpool Combat Club and Friends match was strong. The Fatal 4-Way for the International Championship was also strong, but again, it wasn't long enough. Both world title matches were complete throwaways. The women's match was something you would see on Dynamite. It wasn't anything special. And again, We did get Okada Danielson, but it just didn't come close to living up to expectations. So you all are at, you know, 87, which is right on the verge, right on the line between B plus uh, and B. And I actually think that's about right because I'm not sure what is otherwise a good show. I wouldn't even say it was necessarily a very good show, but a, a good show across the board That is punctuated by Omega and Osprey. It has to take it up, you know, in the grading order. Yet at the same time, I did not feel there was enough to put it anywhere near uh, a territory. It just didn't get there for me. So I think I am exactly where all of you, our listeners getting overheads wound up at the end here. 87 out of 100, a B plus that makes it a very good show. Not necessarily something that I'm going to ever watch back. I will 1000% watch Omega Osprey again before I go to sleep tonight, probably a third time before we get to AEW Dynamite on Wednesday. And I'm certainly going to rewatch Okada and Danielson and probably the international fatal four-way just so I can get a better handle on it to see why other people loved it so much. And I didn't, it may be as simple as loving the theatrics with Orange Cassidy and all that type of stuff where for me, it doesn't add to the match. It doesn't take away from it, but it certainly doesn't add to the entire thing. So I will rewatch some of this and see if I have any second thoughts. But at the end of the day, a worthwhile show, very good. I do, do not think it changed the wrestling industry or broke any barriers like Tony Khan said when he was promoting it coming in. And look, he's a promoter. The entire goal is to get people watching and make them feel like they need to order this pay-per-view or they're going to miss out on something historic. And he's been doing that for you know three plus years and good for him. No problem with that. They did deliver with Omega Osprey. Once again, let me me repeat that. And it is possible that there's an extenuating circumstance with Danielson Okada that we don't know, or perhaps they did it this way completely on purpose because they're doing a three-match series, and by the time we get to the third match, our minds are going to be blown. But I got to tell you, coming out of what we got and the fact that this was the main event match on Forbidden Door, even if they have more, and I know they both have more, we've seen Okada wrestle five-star-plus matches. We've seen Danielson wrestle five-star-plus matches. So they definitely can do it, and I'm sure they want to do it, Uh, but something in that main event just didn't hit like it was supposed to, and because of that, it did take the entire show down with it, for lack of a better term. Folks, that was the instant reaction to AEW and JPW. Forbidden Door, we appreciate you being along for the ride with us. On the way out, let me remind you about our upcoming schedule this week. On Tuesday, we have your WWE Money in the Bank Ultimate Preview on Wednesday, an NXT recap. And then on Thursday, we'll be doing Fallout from AEW Forbidden Door, along with breakdowns of Collision, Rampage, and Dynamite. And then next Saturday, we will have your WWE Money in the Bank Instant Reaction. Since I did not mention it earlier in the show, allow me to also remind you that in our podcast feed, The Silver King has a one-on-one sit-down interview with none other than WWE ring announcer, Samantha Irvin. You do not want to miss that interview. If you like Samantha, if you like the job she's doing ring announcing for WWE, it's an absolute must listen. We've gotten some rave reviews on it and I wanna make sure none of you miss it. Let me also throw a couple reminders at you on the way out. First, that this podcast is all about So be sure to leave those five-star ratings and reviews for us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Also, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news analysis, highlights, all that good stuff. And you get to vote in our pre- and post-show polls like the ones we just read for you about Forbidden Door. Lastly, I happen to love the number... Five. and I hope you do too for only $5 a month you can become an official Getting Overhead support the show you get bonus audio news posts and a lot more all at buymeacoffee.com slash gettingover once again buymeacoffee.com slash gettingover thank you all so much for listening to this instant reaction edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast we will be back with four episodes next week at this point it is time for the Silver King to sign off and leave you with just three final words. Bye for now.